The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. Sure, it's good to be with you all. Again, thank you so much for being here. Really glad that you're here with us. Uh, Will you join me in praying one more time? Ask God for his help as we come before his word together. So let's pray. Father, we do need your help. Uh, If anybody here is like me, you get distracted or focus on other things. Lord, give us focus to hear you. We know that when we encounter your word, the God of the universe is speaking. You still speak, and you want to speak to us today. So let us be open to that, Lord. Help us to listen. Open our eyes, open our hearts, open our just all that we are to your voice. Lord, help us to hear. Help us to see Jesus, who he is, what he's done, and help us to respond to him with faith, with love, with obedience, because he alone is worth it. Show us these things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I got two questions as I start this morning. One is this. You ready? This is not what you expect, I promise. Have you ever heard of Marilyn Monroe? Some of you are like, what, what are you doing right now? Okay, but seriously, have you ever heard of her? When you're, and if you're over, what, 12, 14? The answer is, of course we've heard of Marilyn Monroe, right? Of course we've heard of Marilyn Monroe. During her time, America was in love with Marilyn Monroe. The fellas wanted be, to be with her and what? The ladies wanted to be her, right? Whether it was baseball players or maybe even the president, maybe, Everyone was in love with Marilyn Monroe, and it's amazing, isn't it? She's still an icon today, still today an icon. Wow. All right, but did America really love Marilyn Monroe? Do we really love her? Did any of those guys really love her? I don't know. Did we, did we know her? Did we care about her as a person? You know, her, really, her real name is Norma. Her real name was Norma. As loved as she was... She was kind of a wreck, wasn't she? Lonely, undone. You know, you you think about the way America loves people, the way culture loves people. Look, we didn't love her. What did we love? We love the idea. We love the image. We love the icon. We didn't love the person. Now, why do I bring that up? Well, that leads me to my second question. Do you love love? Do you love Love. Do you even like love? Uh, Informal survey. How many of you are pro-love? Me, Pastor Matt. Okay. Any of you out there, you're like, no, anti-love. I'm down on love. (laughs) Well, of course not. Uh, Of course we, we love love. What do the Beatles say? Come on, we know this. All you need is love. And if you got any Blessed Union of Souls fans, are there any of those left? Were there any? I believe love is the answer. All right. Hmm. How many of you think you're loving people? Don't answer out loud. <laughs> I am. Um, anybody, if you think you're loving, does anybody in their, have anybody in their life who might disagree with that? Okay, now don't answer this one for sure. How many of you think I'm a loving person? <laughs> well, it depends on which one of you we ask, and it might depend on when we ask you. <laughs> Okay, gosh, the reason I bring this up is I think we love love like America loves 
Marilyn Monroe. We like the icon. We like the idea. But we don't know the real thing. And we mistreat the real thing. We twist it all the while saying, oh, we're in love. Because we don't naturally love. And sometimes I think when we see real love, we don't like it at all. You might be thinking, well, show me. I'm going to try. We're in the Gospel of Matthew. If you've been with us, we've been studying through this Gospel. Eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. At this point, we're in the last week of his life, and you really could cut the tension with a knife. Jesus has entered Jerusalem claiming to be the Messiah, God's promised king, and the crowds, at least superficially, are in love with him. The religious leaders, however, hate him. And so the last few weeks, we've been looking at this public debate that's happening where the religious leaders of the day will come and they're trying to trap Jesus or mess him up so that he will be publicly discredited and no one will follow him anymore. So he would lose favor with the crowds. Why do they want to do that? So they can get rid of him. So they can dispose of him. So they can kill him. And guess what? They're going to do that on Friday. So today's text is Tuesday or Wednesday. Friday he's crucified. So we're going to look this morning at verses 34 to 40. And this is their last ditch effort to try to mess him up. This is their last one. And so we're going to see this lawyer guy. He's a super Pharisee, super smart Pharisee, who's going to come and test Jesus with a theological question. And then we're going to see how Jesus deals with it. We're going to see that if you've been following along, the way Jesus responds is so different from the last ones. So if you read a little above or you were here last week, last week the Sadducees came with a question and Jesus all the way is like, you're wrong, you don't know God or the Bible. Oh, um, this week, it's so different. Jesus seems to be like, I really like this question. And he's going to run with it. He's going to expound on it. And he's going to say surprising things. So this is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to think about the question that the Pharisee brings and Jesus' answer. And then hopefully through that, we're going to learn about love, what Jesus says about love. And then I hope that three things will happen to us, because I think these three things should happen to us. We're going to see how real love devastates us, real love remakes us, and real love transforms us. So we're going to look at the question, Jesus' answer, learn about love, then hopefully love will devastate us, remake us, transform us. So here we go. Verse 34 of chapter 22. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. So again, what's the motive of the question? Test him. Can he handle this? Let's make him look bad. Verse 36, what's the question? Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? Now part of this is hard for us to to grip because some of the things that the Pharisees are really excited about, you and I aren't quite as excited about. They loved laws. One of my favorite Rules from See, the Pharisees loved keeping the rules so much that they not only had the rules that were in the Bible, but then they made other rules to keep you from getting close to breaking the rule in the Bible. And one of my favorites is this one. So on the Sabbath, you're supposed to rest, right? No work, which is actually a great idea. You guys like weekends, okay? Thank the Lord, amen, okay? Sabbath, you, you can't work. Listen, that wasn't in any of the cultures around. You just worked, 
But here God says, no, take a day off. Take a day off from your work. Rest in me. Great, great rule. Well, the Pharisee said, you know what? When we work, since we're farmers, a lot of times we water the fields so the seeds will grow. So watering, you know, that's, that's like work. Which means that when you're walking around on the Sabbath, you can't spit. You know why? Because that's like watering the ground, you see. And you would be working. And you say, come on, that's ridiculous. That's what they were into. How about this? <laughs> the rabbis claimed they were 613 separate laws in the Torah. 248 affirmative and 365 negative, which is convenient because that's one for every day of the year. Sounds like fun people to hang out with, doesn't it? Doesn't it? I bet they throw good parties. You're breaking rule number 321. Which one is that? Let me look it up. And to them, some were light rules and some were heavy rules. So these rules are really super duper important. And those rules, you know, important but not quite as important. Well, how do you know? We've got to debate these things. So that's kind of the framework this guy's coming from. Which one do you think is the best rule? Now, because Jesus has spoken with such authority so many times, the idea is hopefully he's going to overstep. He's going to somehow come against the law of Moses. He's going to, to say something bad or over the top, and that's going to discredit him. That's real exciting to Pharisees. You and I were like, chill out a little bit, right? What's interesting is Jesus is like, great question. Because remember, what's the question? What's the great commandment? What's the most important? Which one's heaviest? Jesus is like, I like this question. This one's a softball. I'm going to knock it out of the park. This is a good question. This is an important question. So what does Jesus say in verse 37? Verse 37, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. So what's the great commandment that starts it all off? Love God. And with what kind of a love? A Sunday morning love. I love him from 10 to 11.30. No, a consuming love. All, really it means, all you are. Jesus is really quoting from Deuteronomy 5, and it was every Jew's famous, famous verse. It's called the Shema, which means listen up, or here, I'm going to read it to you, okay? Deuteronomy 5, verses 4 to 9. Listen to what every Jew would memorize and recite. The word of God said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets before your eyes. You should write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That's big, isn't it? An all-consuming love. Uh, Israel lived in a neighborhood where there's lots of gods for lots of needs. And so if you wanted to win a war, you'd go to this god. If you needed a good harvest, you'd go to that god. If you wanted some romantic success, you'd go over here to this god. And the, and the scripture here says there's one god to meet all your needs, everything you need from him. And so he deserves your complete, your total devotion so that you love him with 
everything you are, every aspect of your life, the way you think, love God, how you think, the way you feel, love God, please God, your will, your intentions, love God, please God, your relationships, love God, please God, your deeds, all your life. And so the way to love God is then to obey his commandments. You're teaching it to your kids. You're painting it on your house. You're wearing it on your clothes. Love God. The world around looks at you and goes, you're weird. And you say, what? I just love God. An all-consuming love. That's the great commandment. But Jesus says the great commandment is really one plus one, verse 39. The second is like it. Like it means intimately connected. These two things go together. The first command is to love God with a consuming love with all you are. The second command is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy. His first one, he's quoting from Leviticus here. Leviticus is all about being holy. Eighty times Leviticus says, be holy, holy, holy. What's it mean to be holy? You're set apart, you're different, you're unique, you're, you're, you're special. You're, you're brought over here for something, something beautiful, something important. So be holy to God, be set apart. You belong to him uniquely. You love him the most. And then the way you do that practically, Leviticus 19, the way to really live a holy life where you love God the most is to what? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it means to be holy. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, how many of you have heard this one before? Love your neighbor as yourself. Christianity 101, kind of vanilla, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. I think it's horrible. I think this is horrible. Love your neighbor as what? We've got to find an easier way. Let's do like love your neighbor politely. Can we do that? Can we just be polite? How about love your neighbor occasionally? Wouldn't that be more possible to do? Or let's, let's do this one. Love your neighbors that you like. How many of you are like, amen? I can roll with that one. Love your neighbor when you feel like it. Come on, really? But that's not what he says. What does he say? Love your neighbor as yourself. See, I'd like to introduce you to somebody I love the most. Here he is. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Think of the way you love yourself. Think of the way you love yourself. When you're hungry, what are you darn well going to make sure you do next? <laughs> you're going to eat. If you're uncomfortable, if you have a need, what are you going to do? You are going to meet that need. You are passionate about your relational needs. You have dreams and you have goals and you have hopes. And you're working on those. You invest so much effort in your own happiness, your own joy, your own satisfaction, your safety, your comfort. Don't you? And guess what? Jesus isn't saying that you shouldn't. It's a natural human thing to take care of yourself, to love yourself. You notice when you're in pain, you notice any need, and you work to meet it. You love yourself, so do I. That's why this is so hard. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. 
So this is the command. You wrap your skin around them. And you see through their eyes, their needs, their physical needs, their relational needs, their emotional needs, their circumstantial needs. And you care about their needs in the same way that you care about your needs. And you act for their needs with the same passion and endurance and faithfulness that you act for your needs. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. Wow. Wow. That's the highest neighborly ethical command you'll find anywhere in the world. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, how do you feel about that? I'll tell you how I feel about it. It sounds impossible. It sounds impossible. And here's what's going on. It's hard to think we can love our neighbor like ourselves because if I do that, there won't be anything left for me. If I love you like I love myself and I work to meet your needs, well, who's going to meet my needs? I got to stand up for me. I got to protect me. So let's build boundaries on how much I love you. And Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. But you see right away how these commands work together. Should you start off loving your neighbor as yourself? Is that the first and greatest command? No way. What's the first and greatest command? Love the Lord your God with an all-consuming love. And wouldn't you agree that love for God and love for neighbor are really different? Okay, your neighbor has needs. God doesn't. (laughs) You don't need to meet any of God's needs. He's good. He's all right. Love for God is different. Love for God is realizing that he's the only one that can meet your needs. And so you're looking to him to be satisfied in him for everything. And so your response to your total satisfaction in who he is is to be totally devoted to him, and that fills you up to love your neighbor. You can't love your neighbor unless you love God. can't do it. So you love your neighbor out of this love for God. Now, wouldn't you say that at least theoretically this sounds good? Imagine a world where you're so consumed with love for the one true, living, holy, all-satisfying, beautiful God of the universe. I'd like to love him more than I do. And imagine a world where you're so satisfied in who he is for you and what he's done for you that you're just filled with a courageous kind of risk-taking love for others because you know no matter what happens, you're safe because you've got the love of God. What would that do to the world? What could that do to our community? What could that do for our neighborhood, our families, our marriages, our church body if... We were so in love with God that we were satisfied in him and that just filled us up with the ability to love our neighbor as ourselves radically, consistently. Sounds good to me. So what's the great command? Well, it's one plus one. Love the Lord your God with an all-consuming love, naturally connected to that. Love your neighbor as yourself. Brilliant, isn't it? Jesus concludes with a statement that's Even more amazing, look at what he says in verse 40. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. And that's a way for Jesus to say the whole Bible hangs on these two things. And he didn't know Jesus is pretty into the Bible. He says things like this in Matthew 5.18. Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. 
So Jesus is saying every dotted I, every cross T, it's coming true. What's his view of Scripture? Did you, that was the Holy Spirit agreeing with me. What's, what was, what's his view of Scripture? It's God's Word, and it's coming to pass. He has the highest possible view. And then he's saying Scripture hangs like a, imagine a, um, a bench, a bench swing. Some of you have one of those on your porch or something. It's got two chains, one on one side, one on the other side, and it hangs from it. Scripture is like that swing, and it depends. It's hanging on two things. What's number one? Love for God. What's number two? Love for your neighbor. This is it right here. So come on, think about this. If the Bible really is God's communication, his word, and Jesus says the Bible hangs on these two things, love for God, love for neighbor, you have to realize that this is what the universe is for. This is what all of life is for. This is it. This is everything. This is the top of the mountain. To be filled with a consuming love for God in every way that flows through you into a self-sacrificial love for your neighbor. This is life. This is what you were made for. This is it. If you did these things, Jesus said, the rest of the Bible would come naturally. The rest would come naturally. Think of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not lie. Anybody ever lied in here before? How many times? Three times. Three. Can I get five? Five. T- I've lied so many times I can't count them. I'm a liar. Why did I do it? I'll give you two reasons. Number one, I was not consumed with love for God. I didn't think he was enough for me. And so I had to manipulate and switch things around so that I can get what I needed. Because I didn't have what I needed in God. I had to take things into my own hands. And then as I did that, because I didn't have enough in God, well, what am I doing when I don't have enough in God? I'm mistreating my neighbor. I'm not going to tell you the truth. I'm going to squirrel with things. Do you see how these two things are connected? But if I was in love with God, I had everything in him. I don't need to protect my silly reputation quite as much anymore. I can tell you the truth. And then because I'm not worried about what you'll think of me, I can just honestly love you because I'm safe in the love of God. Then I can tell you the truth. Do you see? It's connected. The whole thing hangs on these two chains. Love for God, love for neighbor. So we've seen the question, what's the great commandment, what it's all about? We've seen Jesus' answer. What is it? One plus one. This is what it's all about. Love God with everything you are and all-consuming love. Number two, love your neighbor like you love yourself with the same passion that you love yourself. Now you've seen a picture of real love. How do you like it? How do you like it? you like love? Or you just want to keep it in pop songs? I think this is devastating. It's totally devastating. I don't think I've ever one time in my life loved God the way I'm supposed to love him. All my heart, all my mind, all my strength, all my motives, all my purposes. I know I've tried to love him some, and we'll get to that a little bit. But there were times I didn't love him at all. I have rebelled against God. I have said, screw you to God. I have replaced God and said, God, you stink. I'm putting something else up there. Status, music, girls, money, image, pride, career. Rebelled against him. I've replaced him. I've demeaned him. Maybe worst of all, I've been bored with him. Maybe worst of all. I've been bored with him. Eh, whatever, I don't care. How about you? 
Have you loved God with all you are? The consuming love? You know, if we followed that passage back in Deuteronomy 5, remember the Shema, love the Lord your God, love the, the one God. Later in verse 14, God says this. You want to hear it? I'm going to tell you anyway. Deuteronomy 5.14, you shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people around you, for the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. That sounds kind of severe. He's jealous. He's jealous for your love. Now, most of the time, jealousy is bad, right? It's usually like a coveting thing. I want something I don't have. I want it too badly. But there's one time when jealousy is good, and it's the context of covenant, especially marriage. Okay? If I take my lady out to dinner, and some dude starts flirting with her, and she responds even with a smile or anything like that, what's kindling? She would never do that, by the way, right? She'd throw her soup on his, or it would be a salad. He wouldn't be hurt. She would throw her salad at him. He'd get salad dressing. The salad dressing would be on the side. So he'd get salad dressing on him. Never happened, right? But if she responded at all, I'd be jealous. I'd be angry. I'd be, I'd be so tempted to just be awful. And shouldn't I be jealous? Why should, I should be jealous. Why should I be jealous in that moment? Because she's mine. She's my wife. I'm her husband. We belong to each other. And so there's a sense in which she deserves all of my love. And I deserve all of her love. And anything to break that makes me mad. In fact, what if, what if the, you know, that scenario happened? Some guy was flirting with her and she flirted back and I was like, whatever, I don't care. If you were there eating with us and you're like, there's a guy flirting with your wife, I was like, yeah, whatever. What would you think of me? You'd be like, you, you got problems. Something's wrong with you. God is jealous for your love. He made you so that you would love him with all you are and all-consuming love. And that he would fill all your needs. That he'd be God to you, your God. And when you say, God, enough of you, I'm going to do something else. He's jealous like a husband. He's jealous. He's angry. And folks, I have totally broken this command. Anybody else in here broken this command? I'm devastated by this command. And man, we don't even want to get into the next one, do we? Love your neighbor as yourself. Because I have rejected satisfaction in God, how many millions of times have I not even come close to loving my neighbor as myself? I've ignored neighbors in need. I have demeaned neighbors in the way I think, in the way I talk. Oh my goodness, have I done that. I have harmed neighbors with my lack of love or even the opposite by showing evil and selfishness. I have not loved and in many cases, I haven't loved you. I haven't loved you. Because I'm selfish. And I'm selfish because I'm not satisfied in God. I have broken this so badly. Haven't you? 
1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes, you know, if I speak with the most beautiful words, if I give up my body to be burned is the ultimate sacrifice, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. So I can tell you right here, in, my, in and of myself, I'm nothing. I haven't loved God. I haven't loved my neighbor. This is the standard of love. It's devastating, isn't it? Do you love love? <laughs> or are you a little threatened by love? <laughs> Devastated by the standard. You know, a lot of these, these discussions Jesus has, they just end so abruptly, right? Because these guys are here for a test. And they test Jesus. What's the great commandment? He says, love God, love your neighbor. And everybody's like, whoa, that was good. But then the, the conversation's over, and we're kind of left hanging. You know, imagine you're there. Love God with all you are. Love your neighbor as yourself. You're like, okay. And then the conversation's over. Now what? Now what? You know, what am, what am I supposed to tell you right now? Should we just do like a, let's just go light moralism like TV preachers? You guys are so loving. Now, in all honesty, I think you're one of the most loving churches I've ever been to. I mean that seriously. But the standard isn't other churches. The standard is what we just heard. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. What am I supposed to say? Great job. Aren't we all sitting here together going, what am I supposed to tell, am I supposed to just tell you to go try harder? You don't love enough. You know, should, I, should I beat you down? Should I give stories about how? You remember how that person didn't love that person? How can you do this? Get it together. Why don't you love God more? Is that what I should do? Just beat on you with a, the Bible brick? What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to look at Jesus. He's the one sitting here on Wednesday saying, love God with all you are. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he's the one who on Friday is going to be crucified. Something is happening there. The greatest picture of love ever is happening there. You know, remember Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, don't think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them to do them, to accomplish them. What's the great command? Love God with all you are. Who's the only one who ever did that? Jesus, he did it. He did it. Always loved his Father in heaven. Every time, every moment, every way. He actually said this in John fourteen thirty one. I always do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. What does he want you to know about him as you look at his life? He loves the Father. He loves his Father in heaven. You know, we, can, we can say God is love. God is love. He's always been love. He was love before the creation was made because there's one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that God has always been perfectly satisfied in and of himself with the love of the Father for the Son, the love of the Son for the Father, and the, the person of the Spirit who I think is that love. God is love. 
And so when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, takes on flesh, he says, I love the Father. He's doing something he's always been doing, and he's living it out right here for us, showing us he loves the Father. He did it. I haven't loved God with an all-consuming love. Jesus has. But not only that, who's the only one to love their neighbor as themselves perfectly? Does Jesus know what we needed? We're dead in our sins, lost in our sins, worthy of wrath and judgment, seeking pleasure from these fake, counterfeit idols who enslave us, who beat us down. We're fools, we're, we're broken, we're helpless. And Jesus sees what we need. And he comes, he humbles himself and puts on flesh. And he lives a perfect life in our place. And then the one who's worthy of all praise and all glory and all honor is hung on a cross as a substitute, taking upon himself the wrath we deserve, the wrath I deserve for never loving God, for not loving my neighbor. Jesus did it, and then Jesus paid for it. What love? You've never seen love like this. That he and who he is would die For me and who I am. That he would die for you and who you are. Romans 5, 6, Paul says this. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, he says, God proves his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And on Sunday, he rose. On Sunday, he rose, showing, vindicating that he is who he says he is, that he did what he said he was going to do. And now he stands there with this gift for all who put their faith in him. You know the story, right? You trust in Jesus. He gives you his righteousness as a gift. So it's like you're wearing the coat that says, I always loved God and my neighbor. And the Father sees you through that lens of who Jesus is. He sees you as if you did it right, even though you didn't. Isn't that awesome? You're righteous. In the sight of God through Jesus Christ. It's like you've always loved perfectly. He gives that to you. Not only that, he gives you this new identity, this new standing as daughter of God, son of God. With all the inheritance Jesus will receive given to us. You're safe, you're loved, you're accepted, you're desired, you're welcomed. No matter what you've done because of what Jesus has done for you. He has earned your adoption. You've never seen love and generosity like this. And this is what remakes us. This is what remakes us. We get devastated by the standard of love that we haven't and couldn't ever keep. And then we get remade by the substitute, the one who did it perfectly for us in our place. And when we see the love of God for us in him, his love that loves us first, even when we never loved him, him loving us, we get remade, we get changed. We get connected to Jesus Christ. Then we get transformed. Then we get transformed in that same chapter, Romans 5, where Paul says God proves his love for us in the, in the giving of his son, he also says this, God's love is being poured out into our hearts 
through the Holy Spirit. The Father sends the Son, the Son accomplishes our salvation, and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, comes into our lives and starts to apply it, starts to make it happen, so that you can know, as you look at Jesus, as you look at the gospel, you can know and you can feel, God loves me. It says in other places that our hearts cry out, Abba, Father. It means our hearts, as we see what Jesus has done, our hearts say, Ah, you are my father. You love me. You love me like my father. You love me like my dad. You, you love me like the dad I never had. Or you love me greater than the, dad, the good dad I do have. But you, you're my father. You love me. That's the Spirit saying that. I'm hoping some of you are feeling that right now. I'm hoping you're saying, you know what? Maybe, maybe God loves me. Look at Jesus. He loves me. He's accepted me for who I am. He's forgiven me. God, you're my father. You really are my father. And that's what transforms us. As we look at the gospel, the spirit starts to change us. We sense God's love for us. And then the fruit, the natural result, have you heard this one? The fruit of the spirit is love. We're wrecked by the standard that we can't keep. We're remade by the substitute who did it for us. And we're transformed by the Spirit who through Jesus Christ lets us taste some of that love from God. Know him as our Father. And then guess what happens? These two commands, they are like unto. When you begin to be satisfied with who God is for you in Christ, what's going to come out? Love for your neighbor. Love for your neighbor. That's why John can say, anybody hates their neighbor, they don't know the love of God. Because these things are connected. If there's somebody in your life you can't and won't love, the problem isn't them and what they do. It's hard to say, isn't it? The problem isn't them and what they do. The problem is that you don't fully know the love of God for you. Now let me just add, you know, I'm not saying every relationship you ever have will be lovey-dovey forever because of Jesus. No, it won't. There are some relationships that need to change, some relationships that need to end. That happens. But what about things like forgiveness and letting go of bitterness? What about things like making peace as much as possible? And we can say, but they don't deserve it. I know you're right. But guess what? You didn't deserve God's love. And he's poured it out on you in Christ. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Who he is and what he's done. And see and know God's love for you. And the more you know that, the more you taste that, the more you want to be consumed with love for him, the more you are able to love your neighbor. Do you see how this works? Jesus has just given you the great commandments. Love God with all you are. Love your neighbor as yourself. At first we're devastated. Can't do it, haven't done it. Don't want to sometimes. But then we see the substitute who did it for us. Made us right with God. And through him, the Holy Spirit begins to Transform us so that we can know the love of God. 
and express love for our neighbor. So what are you supposed to do with Jesus' words today? What does this mean for your life? What does this mean for your week? It's Thanksgiving this week. What's one thing you want to be different as a result of what Jesus has said and done? What was that first command? Love God with all you are. How do you get there? Maybe some of you, you need to, you need to think about who Jesus is and what he's done and, and ask yourself if you're a Christian or if you'd like to be. And if you'd like to be and you think, I can't, I'm too bad, I just want you to know there's nobody too bad to be a Christian. That's the beauty of it. Jesus is so good, he can take care of any mess in this room. He can take care of my mess. He's perfect. He's enough. So if you want to belong to God, if you want your sins forgiven, you want to be adopted, you want to know God as your father, that's yours if you'll trust in Jesus. Right now, just take that gift. Believe it. That'll change everything. Or maybe you're already a Christian and you, and you, you hear this and you realize, you know, I'm not... I'm not filled with love for God like I want to be. It doesn't zing my heart. It, uh, there's so many areas of my life where I'm not even letting God go there. Take some time to think about, and, and really you need to ask for help, right? You need the Holy Spirit. You need to say, help me to love you more, to honestly love you so that something like, God, I love you, you're my father, that would come out naturally out of your heart, and you would mean it. Ask for it. Ask for help. That might be another thing to do. Maybe there's some way, some way you need to obey him. You know how we have love languages? <laughs> you ever heard that one? Quality time, gifts. Familiar with this? You know what God, one of God's love languages is? Obedience. If you love me, what? Keep my commandments. Maybe there's some way you know in your life it's just against what God wants. And you're like, Lord, I want to love you so much that I'll, I'll give this to you. I'll obey. What is it? What is it? Of course, because it's Thanksgiving, we're going we're gonna to hang out with some people, right? You're going to hang out with family or friends. Sometimes that's totally awesome. Um, sometimes that actually makes things harder than usual for some of us. What is this an opportunity for? Love your neighbor as yourself. Let's go ahead and all just admit we're not good at this. It's not easy for us. Okay, it's all right. Jesus loves you. He's done it for you. Who's one person you need to love this week? And if you were going to sit in their chair and look through their eyes, how would they need you to love them? What are you going to do? In a couple minutes, we're going to do what we call the offertory, you know, as we, we worship the Lord with giving our gifts. If you're new with us, no pressure to do that at all. You don't need to do that. That's responsibility for us as members. But it's also a time to process what God has said to us through his word. So maybe take that bulletin, take that pencil, as you're thinking about it, asking God, what does this mean for me? Write down one or two or three things that you want to be different this week as a result of Jesus and these words and his life, and his power, and the spirit that he's given you. Because even though maybe first glance we don't 
like love. In Jesus, we see the real thing. And we can start to love because he's loved us first. In Jesus, folks, love God with all you are. Love your neighbor as yourself because God has so loved you first. Let's pray. Father, we just confess we haven't loved. When we see what love is, it's hard. It's just deeply hard. So we thank you, first of all, that you've loved us first in Jesus Christ. There's no love like his, that he would love you in such a way, even to the cross, that he would love us in such a way, living a perfect life in our place, dying the death on a cross as our substitute, rising from the dead, and now reigning with love for us. Lord, we receive that. We look to him. We trust that. We'll take that, what you've done for us. And now, Lord, as we stand as new people, your people, with our identities as son, as daughter of God, through Jesus Christ, help us taste it and feel it and know it. You're our Father and you love us. You love us. You love to be with us. You care about us. You're in our lives. Enable us to respond with love for you that's all-consuming, that's obedient, that's talked about you all the time. And Lord, show us how more and more, one step at a time, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Help us to see their needs, see through their eyes, and meet that need knowing we have all we need in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.